We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That is Sean Davis. I'm Brian Driscoll, and we're ready to talk about Notre Dame and BYU, Sean. It is officially game week. We got the recruiting stuff out of the way yesterday. You guys talked about just another weekend of wild college football games, more firings, and there will be more. Yeah, Your alma mater kind of put the uh, final nail in the coffin for Paul Christ. Uh, this past weekend, and it not just was it a bad loss to Illinois, but it was Brett Bielema as the guy on the other sideline certainly did him in. But yeah. the focus today is going to be on Notre Dame and BYU. And what we're going to talk about today, Sean, we're going to kind of diverge a little bit from our normal routine on Tuesday, which is kind of an introduction to the other team. We're going to talk about BYU a little bit. But what we're going to begin with is kind of talking about what this game means for Notre Dame, because I think this is a huge game for Notre Dame. In a lot of different ways, Sean. Yeah. And obviously, there's a, a ton at stake, big picture, long-term, short-term, all of it. And that's really what the focus of today is going to be because you come out of the break, riding a lot of momentum. You go into the second half of the season. The way the schedule shapes up, if Notre Dame can get a W in this game, it could really potentially, and we'll get into specifics, but it could really potentially – be a launching point for this football team under Marcus Freeman in year one. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. 
But ever since we first tried Trade Coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection, the rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash irish. That's drinktrade.com slash irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. You know what? When you say that, it's something that I had a conversation, had a conversation with my dad, and he reminded me of some things. And um, Notre Dame is playing the long game here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why else would you hire a first-time head coach with no experience coming into a situation if you didn't expect that there would be some growing pains? Like, and if you didn't expect growing pains from the head coach or coaching staff, then you were kind of like not being realistic about, you know, what you were doing and when mm -hmm. Jack Swarbrick made the hire. I don't know if the schedule I'm glad I'm glad the schedule plays out the way it does because regardless of whether or not they lose to Marshall, even if they had beaten Marshall, they wouldn't have been playing well. Right. Beating Marshall. Right. And we all know what the month of November means in a lot of different areas from a scheduling standpoint with the two teams they have to face in that month. October really sets up either way. If they were three and one right now, unfortunately a two and two, October was going to be the month that allowed them to develop into the team they needed to be come November. Like the task still rate remains the same, even mm -hmm. though they're two and two. So this is what lies ahead, ahead of them starting out in the desert. On Saturday night with BYU, once again, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge for Notre Dame to continue the climb to become the team they need to be by the time November comes around. And that was going to be the case regardless of how September played out. And this schedule really sets up really nice, in my opinion, opinion with the, the foes they have in front of them. It's like, okay, Marcus Freeman talked about the strengths and weaknesses of his team yesterday. The people, the teams that they're facing really play well into their strengths and allows them to be able to work on their weaknesses as they go through October. So that's something to really watch out for. 
You know, it's interesting. Marcus Freeman talked about this a little bit in his press conference yesterday, Sean, where he talked mm-hmm. about, well, it, it, I'm trying to remember exactly how he said it, but he kind of talked about like just winning doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean you're playing well. Yeah. And he kind of alluded to the fact that sometimes winning can mask bigger problems. I think that you're to your point that the losses, although not acceptable, and I'm not okay no. with them. And, and there no. and there's there's no spin to that. There, there's no, no hey, but this is good that you lost to Marshall. There's none of that. No. Having no. said that, it does expose you and expose your warts much more so than an ugly win. Let's say Tyler Buckner hits, you know, Braden Lindsay on that go route you know, late in the, in the fourth quarter when they're up 15-12. Let's say he bangs that post route at the end of the first half and he hits it, you know, and they end up going on to win an ugly game. Mm-hmm. Does it do, do, does this team kind of then go lose to Cal the next week because they didn't necessarily feel the need to fix some of the things that needed to get fixed? Do yeah. they lose to North Carolina instead of Cal or Marshall because they didn't fix the things that needed to get fixed? So it, it, it's not an acceptable loss, but it, it the reaction to it has been so far positive. Yeah. And I think that you have to continue that positive positivity because we still don't know who this football team is, Sean. No. Are they the football team that that looked great for three quarters against North Carolina and for two and a half quarters against Cal or the team that looked bad for four quarters against Marshall and collapsed in the last quarter and a half against Ohio State? There's a lot of conflicting, you know, evidence of this team. Yeah, and I think yeah, and, and Coach Freeman responded to a question that I asked yesterday about that. I asked, you know, like, look, the bye week, does it give you more opportunity for self-scouting than a normal week where, you know, kind of by Sunday night, the thing I've said is by Sunday night, you're moving on to your next opponent. You sometimes have less than 24 hours to really absorb what just happened before you're ready to game plan. So it's hard to kind of do the deep dive into self-scouting. And he said, yeah, we do that, but we've only got four games, right? And he's yeah. they're having the same conflicting – conversation we have who are we are we the team that that looked like the way we i mean for about five and a half quarters against cal really the end of the first half against cal you started to see notre dame kind of wake up a little bit yeah and then really the second half against cal the first three quarters of north carolina that's the team we thought we were going to see this year right like that's the team that we thought could beat ohio state could beat clemson and usc and then of course the fourth quarter shows that eh, they're not there yet right and so the, his point was, there's still a lot we have to learn about this yeah. football team. And and so I think this game kind of presents a, a sort of a next step towards, you know, us learning a little something about this football team. It, it presents them with so many different opportunities, Sean, to, uh, to, to get a big win, uh, to learn about themselves, and to play a team that I think challenges them in some ways that they need to be challenged to really learn about themselves. And so when we first talk about what's at stake, uh, you know, I think the, the the biggest thing for me, Sean, is momentum, right? This is the first thing that's at stake in this game. There's mm-hmm. a lot of momentum. You've won two games in a row. You're now playing the best team you face since Ohio State from a ranking standpoint. Can you go out there and, and beat this team and, and do it in a way where you start to look like the team you're supposed to be. I think that matters. It's not just about winning, right? Because what you and I are talking about is a dual 
reality. It's the momentum yeah. that is sort of the, the micro. It's what's going to help you then go beat Stanford and then UNLV and then Syracuse and all that. And then there's the macro, which involves your perception from a recruiting standpoint, from a transfer mm -hmm. portal standpoint, from an assistant coach standpoint, from a media standpoint, from a Notre Dame fan standpoint. It's not just about beating BYU 24 to 21. It's about also showing yourself to be the team you're supposed to be, which would in incorporate a convincing win over BYU. At this yeah. point, I'm just happy with a win. But if we're really talking about building momentum, it needs to be, why can't you look like Oregon looked when they smacked BYU? Right? Or are you closer to Baylor than you are to Oregon? You know, so all those things matter, Sean. And that's the opportunity is Notre Dame winning is a positive. It gets them, it builds the momentum. But Notre Dame needs to start looking like the team they're supposed to be, which isn't just beating BYU. It's clearly being the better team. Now, is that a 10-point win? Is that a 20-point win? That can vary, but it needs to be that game where at the end of the game, you're like, yeah, they were clearly the better team than that team, and they handled their business. I think that's the first thing at stake in this game, Sean, is the momentum and the perception of this football team. And you talk about matchups because you just pointed out, you know, what people like to do. Okay, Utah State was able to do this, so Notre Dame should be able to do this. Oregon was able to dominate, so Notre Dame should be able to dominate. And we all know that anytime you walk on the field, anything can happen. Like we're talking about teenagers. You don't know who's going to show up, who's not going to show up. And BYU does have a formidable offense with a really good quarterback. That is going to oh, go yeah. up against this Notre Dame defense. But one thing I will say is that the Baylor offense is still questionable. If yes. you watch them, you watch them against Oklahoma State. You saw what Oregon was able to do, and you saw what Utah State was able to do. And I'm sure you guys would get into this. BYU struggles mightily to set the edge. You talk about that all the time. They are not good at setting the edge in the run game. If you run straight at them, they're, they're, they're pretty good. If you run straight at them, they're a little bit better. But when you attack the edges, they, for some reason, have consistently shown yeah. that they're not able to set the edge with their defense. And maybe that's a scheme standpoint. Maybe they're playing to their strengths and they know we can't do that. But when you don't set the edge and you play your defensive backs off, <laughs> you're basically right. giving five yards, you know, to any smart offensive coordinator will take it and work the way down the field. And I'll say this as well. Baylor and Utah State both had opportunities to score that they didn't take advantage of. So this is going to be about Notre Dame, in my opinion, not squandering opportunities because they're going to right. have opportunities. Will they be able to take advantage of those the same way they did against North Carolina? Sean, you talked about the setting the edge part, right? And we'll dive into the matchups later this week. But to your point, when did Utah State get stopped against BYU? On those third and fourth and shorts, shorts where they tried yes. to run right up the middle mm -hmm. and right downhill at them, right? And then you watch Oregon, and Oregon was able to have a little mix of the of the both. So, you know, this is a team that is certainly beatable, but it's also a team that can beat you. I mean, Notre Dame lost to Marshall. So yeah. Notre Dame lost to Marshall not that long ago, then clearly – they can lose to BYU. So I think this is going to be a test of just how far this team has come or not. And I think that's going to be an important thing because, as we said, the perception of this football team is very, very important. I mean, when you look at the schedule coming up, Sean, and this is a big part of it too, you get BYU this week, 
Then the next week you're home against Stanford. And then the next week after that, you're home against UNLV. Who would have thought before the season that we'd be more concerned about the UNLV game than the Stanford <laughs> game? I mean, and honestly, at this point in time, that's accurate. UNLV's 4-1, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, they've beat, they beat North Texas by 31, Utah State by 10, very similar to the margin of victory at Utah State, very similar to the margin of victory that, that BYU had over Utah State. And then I don't know if you watched any of the New Mexico game they had this weekend, but they were down at halftime and came back and won by 11. Like, they're doing a really nice job there. I think Marcus Arroyo is their coach, right? Former, yeah. I think he was at Oregon for Oregon, a while. Yeah doing a great job at UNLV. And so I'm more concerned about that game than Stanford at this point in time. But the point is you've got a chance to go on a run here where by the time you go to, you know, you go back on the road after this game, you're going to be playing Syracuse. You're going to be a top 25 team. You know, if you win these next three, you're going to be a top 25 team, especially the way that teams are dropping like flies every week. You know I mean? Yeah. Those are like seven or eight new teams in the top 25 this week. This week That's yeah. going to keep happening. There's there's even more top 25 matchups this week than there were last week of teams that are both ranked in the top 25, Sean. So when you look at it, you know, this is an opportunity for Notre Dame to really change the perception of who they are. And we yeah. talked about this in a recent show, Sean, and this factors into what you and I are discussing today. You know, I compare it to the Notre Dame 2015 team to the Notre to the USC 2016 team. Both mm. end of the season, or excuse me, the uh, the Notre Dame uh, 2017 team, excuse me, you could make the same case for the 2015 team, but the 2017 team finished the year nine and three, ranked, you know, right outside the top 10. The 2016 USC team finished the regular season nine and three, but that was considered a red hot team that could play with anybody. What was the difference? USC got hot late. They had their bad losses in September. They were one and three mm. at one point in time. Notre yeah. Dame was hot early. You know, they lost to Georgia in week two and then just steamrolled people and then faded in November. So two teams with identical records, similar stats, similar margin of victory, similarly bad losses, right? Notre Dame lost by 33 to Miami. USC yeah. lost by over 40 to Alabama, had a double-digit loss to Stanford, similar to Notre Dame's loss to Stanford at the end of the year in 2017. But the perception of USC was that team could have played with anybody because they got hot late. Same thing for Notre Dame is if you're going to go 10 and two, you want to have a 10 and two where you lose two games early as opposed to Clemson and USC down the stretch. Now, 10 and two is still ahead of us, right? They, they've got to prove they can beat BYU first. But the point is, this is what's at stake against BYU is to go on this run where you gain some momentum. Because I still think this team as a whole still needs more confidence. They need to play with more confidence. And there's some players and some units that are starting to show that. There's others that still aren't there yet. The linebacking core was better. They still don't play with a great deal of confidence. I think there are some guys in the secondary that didn't show me this, the confidence they should against North Carolina. I think the receivers are still not playing with a great deal of confidence. So I mean, there's parts of this team that still aren't playing with a great deal of confidence. And for Drew Pine, for example, he also is somebody that needs to build on the game he had against North Carolina. So I think another big thing that's at stake here, Sean, is confidence. I think if this team can build confidence, then they're going to be the team we thought they were going to be. That, that, that team is not gone. The team we thought they could be at the beginning of the year is not gone. Notre Dame is 2-2. Two and two. They beat BYU. Cam Hart's not playing all that well. Maris is not playing all that well. Brandon Joseph's have been solid but not great since the opener. Your, your offensive line is starting to play well. Your receiving core has done almost nothing this year of note. 
and your running backs are just now really starting to pick it up, there's a lot more room for improvement for this football team, but now you got to show it. So that's the other thing, too, is I think that's a stake here, Sean, is this team needs another injection of confidence on top of what they had coming into the break. If you go into the break with that momentum, beating a, a now 4-1 and one North Carolina team, and who just smashed North Virginia Tech the week after they lost to Notre Dame, and then you go on, on a neutral field closer to BYU than South Bend, Indiana, and you beat a number 16 team in the country, all of a sudden this team gets a huge confidence boost going into the Stanford uh, UNLV and Syracuse game, which is something they desperately need before November 5th when Clemson comes to town. Once again, it goes back to what we talked about. Is the show open? Like how things have played out, regardless of the outcome, this month was going to yield the opportunity for Notre Dame to grow into the team that they eventually need to be. And, you know, you talking about that, yes, they, they aren't even close to their potential as a team. But that's this coaching staff, coaching staff's job, right? Regardless of whether or not they're two and two or they could have been three and one or four and a, their job in October was still going to be we have to get this team even better to be able to do what they need to do at the end of this season and have a narrative of this team can play with anybody. This team is hot. Right. And it starts with BYU. You're spot on. The one thing that I like that I think a lot of people aren't talking about is that normally coming around this game, there will be a lot of buzz about Notre Dame and talking about how dangerous BYU is. Oh, Jaron Hall. And it's like the buzz is just a little bit mellow, even tone. And Notre Dame is just being allowed to come into the game and just play. And just play. Like Who has more a, pressure on them in this game, Sean? BYU has more pressure. Without question, BYU has more pressure because they know this is that game. They've already right. failed one test, which was Oregon. Right. They can't – if they get smashed by Oregon and Notre Dame, I don't care what they do the rest of the season. Like, they're going to be looked at as, oh, yeah, okay, you played well in your conference, you beat the other teams, but when you played decent power five teams, you got crushed. That's it. It's the same yep. BYU. So it's definitely more important for them, but we know how important this game is for Notre Dame. Right. They know how right. important this game is for them. And the task is still, look, we have two top 25 teams on our schedule in the month of October. Let's go handle our business. Because yeah. you can say what you want to say. You can talk about Marshall, but that's in the past. We're yep. moving forward. We run October and get two wins against top 25 teams. We're not that team. You can say what you want to say. That loss, they'll talk about that loss for years to come. Yep. But in the present, if they do what they need to do, they won't be the same team. And they'll know that. So the growth, and I think Marcus Freeman, I don't, in my opinion, yesterday's press conference might have been one of the most impressive press conferences that Marcus Freeman has had. He's starting to get a lot more comfortable engaging yes. the media. Yes. yes. I, I think yeah. he was I think he was honest. And regardless of whether or not you agreed with some of the things he said, you had to say to yourself, you know what? He's consistent. He's consistent. He's not lying to us. This is the vision he has. And you know what? And I have to respect that. 
And that's what I get from him. He's starting to uh, feel himself or feel, him, feel out. It's almost like as a teenager, you hit a spurt as an athlete where you start to fill out and your shoulders get wider. I see him, his shoulders going back a little bit further, speaking with a little bit more confidence, understanding how to handle things and being sure of what he wants to say instead of thinking about what he needs to say, you know, and answering mm-hmm. questions. So it's all coming together. And hopefully we get the outcomes that we think we should get with this Notre Dame team. Like if this Notre Dame team plays well, you mentioned it. If they play the same game they played against Marshall, they're yes, they can lose. Yes. If they play, the if they play they like play, they did against Cal. Yeah. They can lose. Yeah. Absolutely. But if they come out like they did in the first half against North Carolina, they'll have a double-digit lead against BYU. Yep. yep. They will. So Sean, let's talk about what we're gonna what we're going to learn about Notre Dame from this game. And it's not necessarily a prediction of what we're going to learn because it's going to learn one way or the other. That's kind of mm-hmm. what we're talking about is and, and and where it comes from is BYU is a beatable team, but they're a team that can beat you, as we've both said. And what mm-hmm. that means is there's things about this BYU team that present unique challenges to Notre Dame. Because as you said, football is a game of matchups. And that's why the transitive property never works, right, in football. Well, this team beat this team, and so that means this team's going to beat that team. It's not how it works, right? And so when you look at this particular matchup, there's things about BYU that set up well for parts of Notre Dame to, to continue thriving. There's other parts of BYU that could put a test on things that are perceived strengths of this Notre Dame team or – the weaknesses of this Notre Dame football team. So when I look at when I look at BYU, I think the first thing that that kind of comes to mind for me is we're going to learn a lot about this Notre Dame offense, and we'll talk a little bit big picture about it. But I think we're going to learn a lot about this Notre Dame offense uh, from the standpoint of <clears throat> have they made strides? I think that's a big thing for me. Is is has has this Notre Dame offense grown? Or because here's the thing that's unknown. I'm taking nothing away from the performance that Notre Dame had against North Carolina. It was good to see. It was a good game plan. It was a well-called game. It was executed relatively well. Like, I like what Tommy Reese did. I'm in no way taking away from the job he did. Yes, North Carolina stinks, but it wasn't like Notre Dame just went out and, you know, beat up a bad North Carolina team and just out-talented them and didn't have a good game plan. They just kind of ran it down their throat, which we've seen Notre Dame do in the past, where they just, you know, they, they beat up an inferior opponent and you really don't learn a lot about them. And we learned some things about Notre Dame against North Carolina. But their defense is really bad. And, and we've only seen this offense look good for a quarter, I mean, for a game and a half of the season. So I think what BYU does is, yes, their run defense is not great, but I think a lot of Notre Dame fans are assuming things about BYU that, that you know, in the, in the quality of the team that they are that I don't think are accurate. And, and, I, and, and for me, for example, I don't think BYU's defense is as bad as a lot of Notre Dame fans think that it is. I think that it's not great by any stretch. It can be run on for sure but they have a pretty good pass defense and their pass defense isn't just good because they don't play teams that can throw the football. Their pass defense is good because they have a very experienced secondary 
and they have good scheme that can can you know can confuse quarterbacks and create some incompletions. So just all around, and we'll get into some some specifics of this as well, you know. But for me, I think the we're going to learn a lot about this offensive football team just in general. If if they have truly turned the corner offensively, then this should be a at least a thirty plus point game against BYU. And, and when you look at what BYU has done this year, they're giving up 26.4 points per game, which is a very low ranking. It ranks them 73rd in the country. They're, give, they're 90th in yards, rushing yards allowed per game and 62nd in yards uh, allowed per rush attempt. But they're only 38th, but not only, they're 38th in total yards and total defense, and they're 29th in yards allowed per play. And you look at their pass game as a big reason why. They're 19th in passing yards allowed. They're 13th in yards allowed per attempt. They're 13th in yards per completion. So, you know, they've done some good things in those areas that make this a unique challenge for Notre Dame. So, you know, Sean, when I when I look at this, um, uh, you know, I, I, I look at it and say, you know, when I when I see this football team, I say, is it is it a good defense? Yeah, it's a good defense. Is it a great defense? No way. Is it a bad defense? No way. It's just a quality defense. Like Marshall. Like Cal. Right? And those are good quality defenses. Cal being even better than Marshall. And and you did okay, but like we were celebrating a 24-point outburst against Cal, right? Like, you know, like that that's not gonna get it done against BYU, most likely, unless the defense really balls out, which they're capable of doing. But you, if you win this game 24-21, Sean, or 27-24, it tells me that this offense didn't really turn a corner. It's still the same team that struggled. They just beat up on a bad North Carolina. So I think that's something that we're going to see too, Sean, is we're going to learn a lot about this football team, this offensive football team, from the standpoint of has the offense really turned a corner moving forward? Yeah, and I think this offense is going to challenge Notre Dame in certain areas. The discipline is going to have to be at an all-time high this week. Like BYU isn't about to – they're not the type of passing offense that's just about to come out four wide and just – they're totally different than how they attack you uh, than what they saw with Phil Lungo and Drake May and those wide receivers. Totally different. Uh, Different type of athletes. But their RPO game with Jaron Hall and being disciplined on the backside – taking away the bootleg, being able to get upfield and get pressure in his face. Those are the things that they want to do. They like to scheme a lot of their best guys open, especially from the slot. I saw multiple times where they run that fade from the slot with the two outside guys running hitches. They did it a lot against Oregon. They did it a lot against Utah State. And these are the things, just unique challenges, that they're going to give the secondary, even though the secondary is you know, playing really good as Marcus Freeman talked about, except for some of those big plays and from technique standpoints and not letting things happen. But even more than that, I don't think they're going to give from a scheme standpoint, unless Notre Dame is able to get a big lead and force the hand of BYU. I think BYU is trying going to try and slow that pass rush mm-hmm. of Notre Dame, slow Isaiah Foskey down with, you know, RPOs and quick passes and, you know, misdirection and then try to attack them that way. So it's going to be very interesting to see how BYU goes about using what they have. That's a strength for them to attack what are 
perceived as the strengths of the Notre Dame defense thus far being a secondary in that pass rush. Yeah. Well, and you look at BYU, they're going to run, they're going to run jet sweeps. I mean, yeah. they set the tone for that first play of the season. I mean, they yeah. went on a like 70 yard touchdown run on a jet sweep to, to Puka Nakua in the yeah. opener. And, and they do a lot of that. They do perimeter screens. They'll do, they, they do some stuff that Notre Dame does. I mean, they'll motion yeah. the back out of the backfield and throw them a swing pass on a swing screen. They'll run crossers. They run a lot of perimeter stuff. The difference between BYU and North Carolina's wide receiving core is enormous. And here's what I mean by that. North Carolina has a really athletic group of receivers that aren't necessarily great route runners outside of Josh Downs because the air raid doesn't focus as much on technique as it does scheme, mm -hmm. right? BYU's polar opposite. They're not super athletic. Puka Nakua is a good athlete. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But the rest yeah. of their receiving core is not – you know, Keanu Hill's a good athlete. I mean, they're quality athletes, but they're not like the North Carolina kids. But they're really well coached. They know how to get open. They know how to they know how to use their bodies. They know how to use leverage. They know how to do some things that have given the Notre Dame receiver some problems. And so that's what you kind of look at and say, like, they are going to test the Notre Dame, the strength of Notre Dame uh, pass defense. The other thing I think we're going to learn, too, is the rush defense for Notre Dame. And then we'll circle back to the, the Notre Dame offense here in a little bit. But I think the thing, too, is Notre Dame, BYU's rush offense has been really inconsistent this year, Sean. Mm -hmm. Like, at times it looks really good. And at times it doesn't look good at all. I mean, in the Utah State was in a really interesting game because if you look at the numbers, they did not run the ball well at all. 117 yards, 3.7 yards per carry. They were abysmal in the first half. But then they started the, – the spark they got in the second half came from them doing different things. They, they did some substitutions. They put Miles Davis in. They established the run game, and that kind of sparked the run in the second half, which allowed them yeah. to kind of start to pull away. And then they went back to the pass, and then you know Utah State was prepared for that. But, you know, other times they've looked good. They have 314 yards rushing against South Florida. They had 188 against Wyoming. But then they rushed for 261 against Oregon, 83 against Baylor, and averaged two and a half yards per carry in both games. Notre Dame's rush defense has been sort of a tale of two teams. First two games, not good. Even though they held both Ohio State and – I mean, they held Ohio State like 60 – like I think – trying to find – I wrote an article about this the other day, Sean, but what I did was I broke down – uh, kind of what other teams are averaging when they don't play Notre Dame, right? They held yeah. Ohio State to about 68 yards below what they've averaged against their other three opponents, even though they didn't stop Ohio State. They still gave up right. too many yards. They held Marshall to like 10 yards below their average. Marshall ran really well on Notre Dame. You yeah. know, but, but then you look at Cal, they held them well below their season average in that game. And then North Carolina, they held them to like uh, 152 yards below their average against other teams. Cal was 44, held him to 44 below. But that's a little misleading because Cal had that one game against um, who they uh, who they just – they ran for – was it Arizona? They ran for like 300-some yeah. yards and kind of padded their stats. They're not a real good rushing team. you know. So they were about where they were. But a, a lot of stuff against Cal was quarterback scrambles. And then same thing against North Carolina. So which rush defense shows up? Because here's the thing that I'll say. I'm a believer in this in most games, not always, but this is another example of – BYU's not a great rushing rushing team, Sean. You've mm -hmm. got to be able to shut down that run game without committing resources to it and then make them a passing team, yeah. right? It's like with anything. Make them pass because they have to, not because they want to, right? And you've got to be able to shut down the run game. Now, here's what that can't mean. It can't mean shut down the run game because you put your safeties in the box and you're just you're focused on shutting down the run game. No. Your line and your linebackers have to play well. 
you can't because BYU is going to scheme stuff for you in the run game. They're going to do misdirections and stuff like that and show action one way and come back with a counter the other. They're going to run read yeah. zone, all that kind of stuff to try to trick you. They're going to because they have a great O line in pass pro. Their O line is okay as run blockers, right? I think Clark Barrington's a really good run, run blocker at left guard, yeah. but their other yeah. offensive linemen, like uh, the left tackle. Uh, and his, I can't believe his his name is escaping me right now because he's a big time player. We had him on our preseason all conference team, but for some reason his name is escaping me. I'm pulling the depth. Blake Freeland, he's more of a pass blocker than he is a run blocker, in my opinion. He's not a real physical run blocker, but you've got to dominate at the point of attack with your front. And I think the thing that Notre Dame did a great job of against North Carolina, which shocked me, I didn't think they could do it. They shut down the North Carolina run game with their front four just by constantly resetting the line of scrimmage in their favor. And then that allowed the linebackers to run free. They didn't have to put the same. I mean, if you go back and watch the game, the safeties did not make a lot of tackles in the run game. They were making tackles in the pass game. They were shutting down the run game with their box. If they can do that against BYU, I think that's a key to success. But what it requires, Sean, is a great performance from the D-line. You're correct. Mm-hmm. BYU is going to test that D line. They may not get a ton of, you know, sacks because they're going to throw the ball quick. They will run some play action, and this is a good pass blocking offensive line. But they've also given up seven sacks in five games, which isn't a, t- a lot. But they haven't played any defenses like Notre Dame yet either. Yeah. And this is what we said about North Carolina. North Carolina was great on offense. We said, but they haven't played a defense like Notre Dame's. Well, the yeah. closest thing BYU played to a defense like Notre Dame's was against uh, Baylor. And they struggled that game. They struggled, you yeah. know, Right. And so, you know, when, when you look at that matchup, I mean, they scored 26 points, but they needed overtime. They needed overtime to get to those 20, 26 points. Even with overtime, they only had 366 yards of offense. Now, they were able to throw the ball uh, effectively in that game. But it wasn't great. They gave up a couple sacks to Baylor. I mean, so you look at it and say, you know, that's the closest thing they've seen. And then the next closest defense the one our name has is, was B, is Oregon's, and they gave up 21 points. Well, Oregon doesn't have a great defense. This is a defense that gave up 41 points to Washington State and 45, yeah. 49 points to Georgia, right? <laughs> so they held them to 21. So if your D-line is as good as we think it is, then they should dominate. And that's the thing we're going to learn, Sean, too, is – is what we saw the last two games from the defensive line who they are because it's much like the offensive offensive side of the ball. Uh, Cal's offensive line is awful. North Carolina's offensive line is really passive and not really good. They dominated those two. This is yeah. a this is the best offensive line you will have faced since Ohio State. It's better than Marshall's, and you struggled against Marshall's offensive line. So that's another thing, too, about this defense, Sean, is we're going to learn a lot about this defensive line because this is going to be a a tall, long, quality offensive line. It's not great, but it's a quality offensive line that has two really good players on the left side. Their left side of their line is really good. So that's another thing we're going to learn about this football team is is the defensive line as good as it needs to be and as good as it was the last two weeks, or did they just beat up on bad offensive lines? Yeah, one of the things I would like to point out, though, in that game, Utah State, and I didn't know this, Blake Anderson, shout out to him and the job he's done in the last year and five games with this team. Because I didn't know that they led the nation in tackles for losses last year. 
until I was watching that game. And then they had 11 tackles for losses against BYU. So what that means is, yes, BYU's offensive line is good and pass pro, but they struggle with movement. They struggle with stunts because Utah State was a much Utah State was a much smaller defensive line, but they were quick and they did a lot of stand up and you didn't know where they were coming from. You didn't know who was coming. They would give you six man front, bring four, then bring five. BYU struggled with that for about two and a half quarters. And then, like you said, they went back to more of a downhill rushing attack because they really were trying to run to the outside with their RPOs and their play actions. And, you know, they're big, they're good, but they're kind of stiff and not really athletic. So when they pull, you can kind of destroy that. If you use it quickly to get upfield, get up under them. Utah State did that well for about two and a half quarters. And then BYU said, you know what? Just line up and go straight at them. They're smaller than us. Let's push them around. That set up the play action. They got out in front. Utah State had a freshman quarterback starting his first game. So they had to keep things close, and they weren't able to do it. But I agree totally with you. There, It's going to be a challenge. But it, for me, it's all about discipline. And I said this last week. I said more than likely Drake May and North Carolina are going to co- go right down the field in that first series. They're going to be able to script. Yeah. Yo, and they're going to score. And I said that's fine. I want to see – how Al Golden and Notre Dame then adjust. Because once North Carolina is off their script and you have to play football now, mm-hmm. now let's see what they do. And that's when Notre Dame started to take over the game. I wouldn't be surprised if BYU had a script. They were they were able to execute and they went down and scored early on the first drive. It wouldn't shock me at all. How right. does Notre Dame react to that? Do they start taking things away? Do they force them into being a one-dimensional team and put a lot on the shoulders of Jaron Hall and those wide receivers to be perfect because you talked about them not being as athletic as the Carolina receivers that can just get flat, get out behind you because of their speed and athleticism. Sometimes you have to scheme them open, and that can become really frustrating, you know, because if you're just not good enough to beat guys and make plays and Notre Dame continues to tighten things down on the run game, and make you one-dimensional, it can, it, it can become very frustrating for a guy like Jaron Hall. That's what Oregon yeah. did. That's what Baylor did. And Baylor yeah. just didn't have the offense to really take control and take advantage of the opportunities they had. But it's, it's I'm, I'm looking forward to this, man, because I think, once again, as you said before, this really isn't week to week because Al Golden will have more than one week to prepare for BYU. Yeah. yeah. So – I expect him to come into this matchup with a really good game mm-hmm. plan, and they get you know they're they're getting one of the best blitzers back in Ramon Henderson. He's better. Uh, Marcus Freeman talked about DJ Brown being banged up and being healthy now, fully healthy, and everybody feeling better. So I expect that defensive line for Notre Dame to be very spry, very excited, and very eager to first stop that run game. And then get out of Jaron, get after uh, Jaron Hall in that passing game for BYU. I think the thing that surprised me about North Carolina, Sean, is they didn't do as much of the stuff that messes with your eye discipline. We talk about that a lot on our show. They didn't do like a lot of the reverses yeah. and the jets and the things yeah. and the screens. 
And I think they almost kind of played a little bit scared of Notre Dame's speed on defense, to be honest with you. I think they tried to use their size to attack down the field, and 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 that worked a couple times, but not a lot. I thought they thought they could run, and they were a little surprised they couldn't. I mean, they tried to come out running on Notre Dame early. Yeah. BYU won't make that mistake. BYU is going to run jets. They're going to run like stuff we talked about. They are a very difficult offense to prepare for because they do so much stuff that makes you go left and right. And then that opens up some opportunities over the middle and some opportunities down the field. They're going to do a lot of, they're going to pump fake on a bubble screen and throw deep. You've got to be disciplined for that. There's going to be play action shots that they're going to take down the field. You got to be prepared for that. Yeah. They really make you, you mentioned at the very beginning of your, of your discussion about this, they really make it to where you have to be disciplined because they are a 70 yard play waiting to happen. Not because they have elite athletes because they scheme well. Yeah. And, and that's the key is that is they'll create some of those big play opportunities. And so you have to be disciplined and it all goes back to the defensive line. Those big play opportunities are harder to get to when your defensive lines get a pass rush. That's going to be a key. Yeah. I want to circle back to the offense, Sean, because um, this was the part that I was discussing when you had to step out. We were having some 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 audio issues, but we've got those resolved now. This is the the thing that I mentioned is we we still have no clue what this offense is, and <laughs> we're going to have a mailbag after this. And there's a lot of talk about Tobias Merriweather in there, and and we'll have plenty to say on that. I promise you. But we're still we're still talking about an offensive football team that prior to the North Carolina game hadn't scored more than 24 points in a game. And North Carolina is really bad on defense. This is the game that's going to tell us has Notre Dame turned the corner on offense. They don't need to score 40 on BYU. They, they, they do great. I mean, it's not just about that. It's also about, look, can you go out and be balanced, right? I, I think they can run on them, but can you throw on them? Because as I mentioned before, this is a really good pass defense. It is. It's not a. It's not great. It's not elite. But again, like they're they're very complex. They do a lot of things to mess with your quarterback's reads. They're going to show mm-hmm. them one thing, roll to something different, show different looks. I mean, they they'll do things, Sean. And it's wild. They run like a a. They're a four down team that that's. They're a three down team out of four down personnel. Let and me ask I, you a question before you yeah. get deep into this. Mm-hmm. I was kind. I was confused watching their defense. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, are they in nickel? Yeah. Are they down? Like, what is what is going on? Like you said, I see four down, but I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. I see their two linebackers, but so I'm, I'm glad you're going into this because this you're about to educate me because I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Right. So they're a three-down team out of four-down personnel. Okay. Now, last week against Utah State, they did not have Tyler Batty, who's their best defensive lineman. He was hurt. He'll be back right. for this game. But like they'll line him up like as like a viper. But the difference is, is they will line up in a lot of odd fronts out of that, and just kind of have him as almost like a three-four linebacker. They'll be in a three-linebacker defense, but then they will vacate the linebackers out of the box and have like a four-down in their mic, daring you to run the ball, and then they just collapse on it from outside and inside. I think that's partly why they're vulnerable against the run. Because they think they can just fold back inside and funnel everything back inside, but the reality mm-hmm. is, is they get they're not a super athletic front four, and and you can kind of move them, and I think that's why they're getting gashed, and that's Sean why they have issues when you kind of run some of that perimeter stuff because when you're trying to fill from here and here, some holes are going to open up. It makes it a lot harder to fit because you're now fitting from distance. 
Yeah. And I think that's one of those things that's kind of created an issue for them. So, you know, when I, when I look at it, Sean, it's a complex defense that they are going to try to bait you into things that you don't want to do. They're going to show you looks trying to get you to do something that you don't necessarily want to do in hopes of like, they're going to show one thing with their alignment and their call is going to play to what they think they can bait you to do. It's a very strange defense. They listed 15 different positions on their two deep, which just <laughs> tells you some of the weird complexity. Like they have like four different, they had like four different defense, five different defensive line starting spots, mm-hmm. like three different linebacker spots, like five different. It was just crazy how their two deep was. And they'll show you a lot of different personnel, but they'll also line up in a lot of different ways out of each personnel grouping, which can make it challenging to play for. I also think what it does, however, is it can create confusion on their part. This is a team that is prone to giving up big plays. This is a team that's prone to, oops, I thought I was supposed to do this, and I didn't do it, and now there's a guy running down the seam wide open. Or a guy's one-on-one when he was supposed to be left one-on-one. So that is one of the drawbacks to it. But they're a pretty veteran team, and they don't make a lot of those mistakes. You kind of have to outplay them. But I think the weird alignment kind of plays into what Notre Dame wants to do offensively. right? They want to run the football – they want to try to get you in space. They want to attack vertically with their pass game. And I think BYU can be vulnerable to that if you can protect the quarterback. This is not a team that forces a lot of turnovers. They've had five and five games, and this is a team that doesn't have a lot of sacks. So I think those are areas where Notre Dame should be able to have success. The, the problem is, can Notre Dame – they have nine sacks in five games, less than two a game. They've only forced one turnover per game, which is better than Notre Dame's rate so far. So I think those are the things that present the challenge, right? Is And the other thing, too, is because they, they know their offense is good. So they're willing to take some chances knowing that their offense can get points back. And so what you have to do offensively is you have to take some big opportunities because if you can hit, if you can get early success against them and your defense can make some stops and then they become one-dimensional from their, because they're playing from behind, that's when they get in trouble. It's exactly what happened against Oregon, yeah. right? They got behind early. The run game was non-existent, and Oregon just out-athleted them on the perimeter, and they had no answers, right? And yeah. Oregon was playing without one of their better defensive linemen in that game, too. So that's the – I mean, Notre Dame, it's a different scheme, but it's the same recipe, right? Shut down the run game with the box and then out-athlete them on the perimeter. If you can do that, that's how you shut this offense down. Baylor was able to do that. Oregon was able to do that. Can Notre Dame do that? That's the question. Because they should have done that against Marshall, and they didn't. Right. And so that's kind of what we're going to learn about this group. So I think offensively, you've got to come out early, Sean, and have success and allow your defense to play with a lead. If they can play like we talked about North Carolina being a great come from behind team. I don't yeah. think BYU is. No, I don't. No, I don't. So I think this that's an important. But but can is this offense capable of that? We don't we don't know the answer to that. One good game against one of the worst defenses, the power five level does not is not your ha aha we've arrived moment that doesn't take anything away from Tommy Reese's game plan it was excellent against North Carolina it doesn't take anything away from his play calling I mean some of the plays he called in that game were just like dude I, this is this is the Tommy Reese we were wanting to see the first three games right like where was yeah. this against Ohio State where yeah. was the counter throwback against Ohio State where was the the bootleg with the second running back wanting a running a wheel route where was all that stuff against Ohio State right where was that creativity against Marshall we didn't see it. So it doesn't erase the first two and three games, but it also, you know, but it also shouldn't be dismissed because he did a great job. Yeah. If he can replicate that against BYU 
at, while also making some personnel changes, which we'll discuss in the mailbag, then I think that's how we know this offense has turned a corner. Beating up on a crap defense like North Carolina, and I'm, there's no other way to describe it. That's a horrible defense. But did you see him against Virginia Tech? They looked a little better. They looked a lot better. Right? Yeah. Now, what helps is that Virginia Tech's offense is terrible. They're averaging <laughs> 18.2 points per game. They scored 10 against West Virginia and 17 against Old Dominion, right? They're not very good. But they held them to 10 points, Sean. I mean, you can't you can't take away from that. I mean, so, you know, they played better. They definitely played better. So was it just that Notre Dame is that good? Did North Carolina just have a bad day? Uh, no, because they've had bad days all up until then. Yeah. Did, was it that after playing Notre Dame, Virginia Tech looked like a JV squad? Maybe. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe. Yeah. But the point is, is they're going to need this game for me to believe that they've turned the corner. Success in this game is going to be the key. And so it goes back to the original theme of we're going to learn a lot about this football team. And I think we're yeah. going to learn no, that unit offensively is the unit we're going to learn the most about in this game, Sean. It is, and if that unit plays well against this defense, which is well coached, it's, it's an okay defense. It's not great, but it's not yeah. bad either. Then it tells me, okay, they've turned a corner and you start feeling really good about this team's ability to go on a run because their ability to go on a run to the point where they can play with and beat Clemson play with and beat USC is going to be dependent on their offense, figuring it out. It, it, it just flat out is. And if they can do it in this game, then I'm going to start saying, okay, because if they beat up on Stanford, it's no different than beating up on North Carolina to me. If they beat up on UNLV, it's like, guys, you, you, they have zero NFL players and you have NFL players across the board. You know what I mean? Like same with Syracuse. Syracuse is a good football team. It's still Syracuse, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is still a team that barely beat Virginia, who stinks. You know, barely beat Purdue, who's okay. You know, although they looked really good against Minnesota on Saturday. You know, but it's like, you, those are games you should win. If you can move the ball on this team, then that says, okay, they've turned a corner, Sean. There's no doubt. You're right. And it's nothing left to uh, really do other than to see if they can do it. Yep. Like the talk is out of the building. You had a great yep. question. When you talked about the extra week of evaluation that the coaching staff has had, you know, and does that play into, you know, not only development and, and you know, getting guys on the field, but, you know, how you attack moving forward. And because you point to it, and I never really thought about it. Like that time going from Saturday, Sunday, and then to Thursday, you basically have to have installed pretty much on Wednesday of that week preparing for the game and then you practice Thursday and then Friday's pretty much walk through if you have anything else and then you play. And that's the challenge for this coaching staff and BYU gave themselves by playing on Thursday night, they gave themselves a little bit extra time to prepare and get some of their guys back healthy. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. It's going to be a little bit of chess. I would say more so for BYU because at some point, I really believe that physically the coaching staff and the players of Notre Dame walk onto that field knowing and feeling, dude, we're, we're the better, we're better than them. We're better oh, yeah. than BYU. So we we can line up, let's line up and right. just physically take this game over. Let, let's pull up a question, Sean, to speak to that. David Lowe says yeah. the way Brian feels about Syracuse, UNLV, and Stanford is the same way I feel about BYU. I think it's a game Notre Dame is supposed to win. You, I think you're missing the point, David. And it's the point Sean's saying. 
BYU is a game Notre Dame should win. They're supposed to win Absolutely. that. Our point is, but we don't. If they beat BYU, then it tells us this is the team that we thought we're going to see. We just saw it, you know, three weeks too late. You know, later yeah. than we thought, right? Yeah. And then you roll Stanford, you roll Novi, and you roll Syracuse. But you're 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 assuming that like what we're saying, we're not going to assume that the team we saw against North Carolina for three quarters is the team we're going to get here because this is still the same team that struggled to score on Cal for half the game. And struggled to, I mean, didn't lost to Marshall. I mean, I wonder, this team lost to Marshall less than a month ago, right? So to just assume they're going to go on a neutral field and beat BYU, it's like Notre Dame fans have convinced themselves that BYU is just like terrible football team for some reason because they watched a half against Utah State where their best defensive lineman didn't play, right? Like this is a good football team. Right, this is a football team that went six and one against Power Five teams last year. This is a football team that beat Baylor in overtime. Baylor just went toe to toe with Oklahoma State for a full game. Baylor just smacked Iowa State the week before that. Baylor's a quality football team, and BYU beat them. They had a bad game against Oregon. One bad game doesn't define you. Oh, they, they got blown out by Oregon. Oregon got blown out by Georgia. Is the team we've seen of Oregon in the last four weeks the same team that got blown out? No, they're not. The point we're making is yes, Notre Dame should win this game. Mm-hmm. But what do you want us to do? Show, hey guys, Notre Dame should win this game. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you in the post game show on Saturday, right? There's a lot to learn about this football team, and they have not shown themselves to be a team that lets us say this is who they are. I think we have a pretty good idea of who the defense is for the most part, but as a team, we still don't know who this team is, and that's the point of this game. And my comment was simply. If they beat BYU the way that we think they should, then they should go out and roll the next three opponents. If they lose to BYU, then I'm not just automatically you know, throwing out Stanford as a win or Syracuse as a win. Because they're not. Because Syracuse is a team their name should beat convincingly. But so is Marshall. And that's the point. Yeah. And that's what we're, Sean and I are talking about as far as what the opportunity here is for Notre Dame. And let's and say this as well. Stop saying that if they beat the four teams on their schedule, that it really doesn't matter. It does. Mm -hmm. Every game matters. Every game is going to tell you something about this team. It matters. Because the season really is not about the schedule anymore. It's about Notre Dame. Right. And how they get better and how they progress. That means each test. Regardless of you, if you view BYU and Syracuse as quizzes rather than tests, and you right. view Clemson as the midterm and USC as the final exam, then fine. Right. However you want to determine that, that's fine. But it still tells you something, and it still goes down in the final grade book. Yep. To give you the final grade at the end of the season. So it all matters. It all averages out. All of these games matter. And all right. of these games are going to tell a story about who Notre Dame is at that point in the season. That's why you stay connected. That's why you're intrigued about where Notre right. Dame is and how they're going to continue week to week moving forward. It's right. because you're going to find something out about your team. Right. Exactly. And Salty says this, and this is Salty gets it, Sean. I think he understands where we're coming from. He says, I've lost any thoughts of being suppo- of, of being supposed to win against anyone. We're not far enough away from Marshall, like gas station sushi. It can resurface at any time. I mean, that's kind of our point about the very premise of this show was an opportunity for Notre Dame. 
This is an opportunity game for Notre Dame. This is a game where Notre Dame can show that they are that team, Sean, to your yeah. point. It's not about yeah. if Notre Dame plays their game, I don't care what BYU does, Notre <laughs> Dame will win. They'll win. Right. But that's but that the same thing was true against Ohio State, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true against Marshall. Marshall. The same thing is true against Cal from a standpoint of that should not have been a seven point game. No. Right. And and so I mean, Cal just lost by like 19 to Washington State, right? And and the same thing is true against North Carolina. That game should have been 63 to 17. If we're gonna sit there and say no, if Notre Dame has arrived as a football team, they eliminate two of the big plays. North Carolina scores 17. Maybe they get a garbage point touchdown to get to 24 late. Yeah. But Notre yeah. Dame's in the 50s or 60s. Yeah. Because they left a lot of points on the board, right? They are not that team yet. And that's the point. Now, the bye week, I think. Normally, I like buys later in the year for this Notre Dame team. I think the buy came at a perfect time. Perfect time. I, I totally because agree. now they can sit back and say, "We've got a new quarterback. We've got to readjust our offense, and they need to readjust the offense. We've got to clean up some things. We've got some guys banged up. Let's get everybody healthy, mentally, physically, and all that, and then figure out who we're going to be." And that's the point of this show. Is that's what this, and we're going to get into BYU and the matchups and some of the more specific X's and O stuff that we do. But this, it was important to lay the foundation of how important of how big this game is for Notre Dame. And I think this is what a lot of Notre Dame fans are missing about this game, Sean. I'm seeing people on the board like, oh, Notre Dame should win 49 to 17. And I'm like, you're setting yourself up to be pissed if they don't win by five touchdowns, <laughs> right? Like, like, I think some people just like being upset. And so they do that. Yeah. But yeah. that doesn't mean Notre Dame's not capable of doing that. And so to me, I think dismissing BYU for whatever reason, because we're seeing people in the chat, like, you know, BYU's this bum football team. If you think that about BYU, I'm sorry you're you're misguided, right? And, and if you look yeah. at this football team, they're 25-5 and five in the last three years. 25-5. and five. They went 6-1 and one against Power 5 teams last year. They're 8-2 and two against Power 5 teams the last two years combined, right? I mean, that's pretty good. It's a good so program. This is a quality football team. Is it one Notre Dame should handle? Yes, it is. We're not denying that. We're not saying if Notre Dame goes out there and wins 24-21, we're excited. No, we said we're accept that because at this point in time, you just take a win. But we said on the show, if that's the if that's the win they get, that tells me they haven't turned a corner. Right? It tells me, Sean, all that tells me is they just have better players than BYU, which they do. And so our point is, is what we're going to learn about this football team is if you can handle your business because – if Notre Dame, here's the thing, Sean. Let's say Notre Dame wins 42 to 17. If you've convinced yourself that BYU stinks, then you're not going to appreciate the quality of that kind of win. And that's the point. That's going to require Notre Dame to play really good football. Are they capable of it? Yeah. Yeah. But we can't assume it's going to happen because this, like as Salty said, this is still a team that less than a month ago lost to Marshall, Sean. Yeah. You know, I mean, so that's what I'm excited about. And here's another thing that we didn't mention as well. Notre Dame has really struggled with top mobile quarterbacks. Jaron <laughs> Hall is one of the best that they're going to play this year. And they play a lot of really good quarterbacks this year. He's not a runner per se, but he can run. But he's a guy that can do a lot of things that we saw C.J. Stroud hurt Notre Dame with in the first game, which yeah. is avoid the pass rush. Climb the pocket, get outside, make plays outside of the the script of the of the offense. 
if they can slow that down, that's another example of this team has taking is taking the steps to getting to where they can be. And those are the things that would make me feel like you can then go roll the next few teams that you play. Yeah. But we got to see it this week first. That's the, that's the key to this whole and, thing. And so. it goes back to the discipline that we have to play with, we have to play with. Notre Dame has to play with on defense because you don't want to just come off the edges. You want to you kind of want to have a very patient, slow pass rush against this guy, right? Because they're going to try to get the ball out of their hands, right? So to combat that, it's no sense of trying to fly up the field. Make him come off of his first read. Make him hold the ball a second longer, two seconds longer. Right. And then when he has to pull his eyes down and try to move up in the pocket, sometimes you might have mares there spying, mm -hmm. like they did against Drake May. That was one of the things they adjusted to in, in the, late in the first quarter. And then sometimes your tackles might not get as deep and might be conscious of, okay, when he steps up, this is where we're going to close the pocket in rather than just – you know, giving him uh, an alley to come up through. There are a lot of different things that they're going to have to be disciplined to make sure. And he'll pull it on the RPO as well. So you have to be very aware of that as well. It's a lot of different things. Eye discipline, eye discipline is something we hear all the time, specifically from a defensive standpoint. And Notre Dame is going to have to show that they can be disciplined to be able to uh, – uh, I, I think – there's a saying that kind of connects to this, but the best way I can say it, and maybe you can remember it, they're going to have to be disciplined to get the opportunity to go hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They're going to have to be disciplined early to set up the opportunities where they're out in front and now they can go hunt Jaron Hall right? because the, the running game is out the window. Now they can go get him. And hopefully, you know, whether it's late second quarter or third quarter, they put themselves in that position where they can go hunt and start making things, making life a little bit more miserable for Jaron Hall, who, in my opinion, I didn't know his arm was that was that good. Yeah. Until I watched him last week against Utah State. I'm like, oh, man, he has a pretty good arm. Man, yeah. He's accurate. Like, yeah, you're going to have to, even if you don't sack him, you're going to have to get some tackles for losses. You're going to have to get some pressures. And then you're going to have to make them one-dimensional. And that's the task at hand. Shoshan, I think that kind of wraps up the first kind of the first look at this matchup and just kind of big picture what they are as we get into the week. We'll dive more into specifics about this matchup. We'll talk a little bit more about what they do offensively and defensively. We'll get into specific, you know, the statistical areas that they are good and the statistical areas where maybe they're not as good, where they're more vulnerable. I think Notre Dame has some – there are some things about Notre Dame that present them with opportunities in this game, and there are some things where Notre Dame is going to have to guard against areas where BYU's good and Notre Dame hasn't been as good. So that will be an interesting part of the matchup. We're going to go mailbag next, Sean, but before we do, I want to ask everybody to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, and share this podcast. If you are listening via podcast form, we would also appreciate you giving us a five-star review. The guys at CFB All-America Podcast, which is part of the CFB Nation channel, have also released their show today talking about coaches being fired, Alabama leaping Georgia, the Pac-12, uh, their resurgence, Sean, which I think is a very interesting topic I'd like to discuss with you later. 
uh, after the show because I'm still not sold on the Pac-12 resurgence. We shall see. But, uh, you know, a lot of good stuff on there. So subscribe to that as well. And, of course, always join us on the Irish Breakdown message board. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.